Hello, my friends, and welcome back to the What If Project podcast. My name is Glenn. I'm your host, and this is episode number 168, and it's uh, part three of our series that we're doing called Instant Replay, where we're kind of throwing it back to the archives of the show and uh, listening to some of my favorite episodes, some of our listeners' favorite episodes, and uh, reminiscing uh, a little bit. Uh, This episode is actually with William Paul Young. Uh, He's been on the show twice, and so this is the uh, replay of the first time he was on the show, and it's actually all the way back to the 43rd episode of the show, so uh, very early on. And this is one of the earlier interviews that I did. I didn't do a lot of interviews early on. I did a lot of solo stuff where I would kind of talk through uh, various thoughts I was having about the Bible. This whole podcast in the beginning was very much uh, a place for me uh, to kind of publicly uh, deconstruct some of the (laughs) the finer things that I was thinking of. And I would pepper in interviews uh, here and there. And this is one of those interviews that I, I peppered in. Uh, with William Paul Young, and he wrote the book The Shack, if you if you don't know him, um, and they also turned it into a movie. He's written some other books as well, but that's the book he's he's most known for. And uh, this conversation kind of revolves around the shack. And I was listening to to the episode the other day, and I remember I was really nervous for this episode. Like I I I, I literally felt like I was going to throw up in my mouth <laughs> when I hit record. And I was like, please don't say anything stupid. <laughs> please <laughs> don't say anything stupid that I can't edit out. I was so nervous. And uh, it was great. You know, I mean, he he's super gracious. Um, he's super kind. And uh, yeah, it's funny too. Like, I, I think that had I have, if I were to have this conversation with him today, I think my questions would be very different because I was thinking like some of the questions I asked him uh, were very relevant for me then, but I'm not sure there's relevant for me now. And so I think that having grown a little bit, uh, having had some more experience under my belt in the last couple of years of life, um, I, I think that my questions would be very different for him. So uh, whatever the case may be, if you've listened to this episode already, I hope re-listening to it uh, gives you some encouragement. And if it's the first time you've heard it, um, welcome. <laughs> I hope you hope you enjoy. Hope it touches you, uh, your heart in a, uh, in a in a good way. Because again, William Paul Young is a encouraging guy. Um, the book is magnificent. Um, just go look him up. Read his stuff. Um, really, really good. Show notes today. Uh, Patreon and buy me a coffee if you want to support the show financially. Those are two ways that you can do it. Uh, Patreon is a tier based program. Every month you give a certain amount of money. whatever, every tier gets its own reward. Um, So I try to do something uh, that's maybe different from the norm. A lot of people use Patreon, so I'm trying to uh, create tiers that are just a little bit different. Like one of the tiers, I think it's the the $20 tier. Uh, Every quarter, you get invited to a Zoom chat with an author or previous guest of the show. So in October, we're going to be sitting down with David Hayward, the naked pastor, in a Zoom call, uh, just the patrons, and you can ask him whatever questions you have about God. 
about his life, about his drawings that he does, and he's going to literally sit there for an hour and just answer our questions and talk to us. And so uh, that's David Hayward. We did the same thing with Diana Butler Bass, uh, Brian McLaren, John Dominic Crossan. So uh, anybody who's been in the past is free game to hopefully come and do this. So uh, that's like one of the tiers, and it's been a lot of fun. Uh, another tier is uh, a bi-monthly chat with, with me. We just get together uh, as a group, and we talk about uh, we might talk about the show. We might talk about life. We might talk about questions. Uh, we might maybe read a book together over the course of a couple months and then use that time together to talk about it. Um, cool stuff. This is the first time we're actually doing it. It's going to be this month, actually this week on, on Friday. Um, so that's one of the tiers, but all different tiers, all different rewards. So head over there, check it out. Buy me a coffee is more like a one-time um, thing. So if you don't want to do a monthly tier, totally get it. Some people just don't want to do that. Um, you can also make a one-time contribution at buymeacoffee.com. So all the, the links, again, are in the show notes, along with the Heretic Shop if you want to buy a t-shirt or a hoodie uh, or anything like that. Special music today is from my friend Young Citizen. He's a hip-hop artist in Charlotte, North Carolina, doing wonderful things in the world, in the community. I just got some new music that is about to drop soon. So I head over to iTunes, Spotify, check him out, Young Citizen, Y-U-N-G, uh, Young Citizen. So all that to say, my friends, uh, again, episode number 168, Instant Replay Part 3. And it's my very first conversation with the one and the only William Paul Young. Enjoy. The patience paid off, now it's go time. go time The worries all around me, I'ma get mine Born in the Queen City, got the 4-9 Go to Green Trip, told me where to co-sign So people doubted me, that's close to me, that's their regret When I make it, I'ma take it, all I do is rest Remain grinding, self-care, that's when I'm at my best A little crazy, that's when I'm at a test Feeling tuned Yeah, we riding, yeah, we rolling All the way to the ocean, uh. Hey everybody, welcome to the What If Project podcast. Today we have a special guest who is joining us and you might know him from his book entitled The Shack, which came out I guess about 10 years or so ago, uh, recently been into a movie. He has some other books out as well, uh, his most recent being Lies We Believe About God. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, the great William Paul Young. Mr. Paul Young, welcome <laughs> to the podcast. I'm honored to be with you, and I'm five foot six, so I'm not that, you know. Not that <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so, Paul, I first heard about you uh, from a friend of mine. Uh, I was working at Starbucks about yeah, a little, probably a little less than 10 years ago. And I worked with a guy who was struggling in his walk with God. And he had recently lost his mom to cancer. And he was filled with all of these questions of, of why. Like, why would God, who apparently loves me, allow this to happen? And so he knew that I was studying to be a pastor at the time. And so we talked a lot about God. And, and one day he came, in, and he came into work and he's like, dude, you have to read this book. And he was so excited about it. And then he brought me a copy of The Shack the next day. And normally, like, I'm turned off by novels. Um, I just can't really follow the plot and uh, character development. But I, I poured into this book. 
And it really had a hand in helping me peel back like a lot of layers and have a deeper understanding of God's, of God's love, but also raised a lot of questions for me, which I'm going to pick your brain about in just a little bit. Uh, but before that, for people maybe who aren't too familiar with you, uh, can you tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, maybe your background, all that kind of stuff? Sure. Um, I am just turned 64 years old. I'm married mm -hmm. to Kim. We have six children, and so far, from four of them, we have 12 grandchildren. Wow. 12, uh, 11 years old and under. So, wow. So, yes, it's the best. And um, grew up as a missionary kid. I was a year old when my parents went into the highlands of New Guinea, and mm. I um, spent the first basically 10 years of my life uh, in a multi-racial, dimensional, cultural um, milieu, and then um, went to boarding school when I was six. I had some significant losses as a child, and um, uh, includes um, sexual abuse, and includes which was in the tribal culture, but it also was in the boarding school. Mm. And then, um, and then uh, a very angry father who just didn't have a chip for being a dad. His 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 dad had busted him before I showed up, mm. and. Um, uh, came back to Canada. So I'm a, I'm a missionary kid and a preacher's kid of mm. modern, modern evangelical fundamentalists. Mm. And um, the, um, that kind of history and also a firstborn. So mm. that kind of history just, um, uh, it sets you up, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, par partly because of the theology that you grew up with and partly sure. because of your experience. Mm. And um, so years later, working, you know, thankfully I married a very powerful, healthy woman, and um, I, I nickname her the Wrath of God. You mm. know, so, but uh, we'll <laughs> we'll talk about that in a bit. Yeah. Um, but I worked through a whole lot of my stuff, and at the age of fifty, finally felt healthy enough to do something Kim had been asking me to do for for about four years, and that was, would you write something as a gift for our children? that puts in one place how you think because you think outside the box. And, mm. and finally, at the age of 50, I felt healthy enough to do that. And I wrote a story on the, on the max train um, to, to one of my three jobs at the time. Mm. Um, wrote most of, this, most of the shack on the train and uh, got it done for Christmas, made 15 copies at Office Depot that did everything I wanted it to do and went back to work. But you know, it did everything I wanted it to do, but it seems that God, in God's great sense of humor, there was, there was a whole bunch of people like me stuck between edgy and Jesus. He had a few more copies you wanted you to make. <laughs> yeah, a few more. So, so it's, it, you know, through a whole crazy uh, bunch of circumstances, and to me, you know, coincidence has a name. So hmm. um, it's just one of those things where I was playing checkers and God was playing three-dimensional chess. Yeah. And uh, you see that kind of stuff in hindsight, but mm -hmm. uh, it becomes this international phenomenon. Basically, the book is, is, is quite autobiographical, actually. Um, I'm both the main character, Mackenzie Allen Phillips, and okay. he's, he's a dad uh, who takes his kids camping in the Wallawas, Eastern Oregon, and uh, has a massive tragedy. His youngest mm -hmm. is abducted and then presumed to be murdered. And uh, they find evidence that she's probably dead up in a, in a shack up in the wilderness, uh, part of Oregon, and uh, a place that that whole area, we've camped with our kids. And so, hmm. you know, all, all the locations are real and all the names of the roads are real. And, hmm. 
And, um, and so Mackenzie drops into what is called the great sadness. The great sadness is almost another character mm. um, because when you experience loss, it, you just lose your moorings and sense of certainty and, and, and it raises the questions. So I wrote this for my kids for Christmas. My youngest was uh, 12 years old at the time. And people say, you know, how could you write such a tragic story? Mm. And, um, and I say, look, you know, uh, I, want, I wanted to write something that was one engaging for my kids that they just didn't, you know, like, well, this is boring. Right. Um, and, and a good story is engaging as long as it doesn't become propaganda. And that's partly, I think, why the book has done what it's done, because it's not religious. Hmm. It's, it, didn't, it didn't drop the other shoe. It, it didn't have a hook in it. It was so human that people could identify regardless of the loss they had experienced. Hmm. And, I, and I think the greatest loss between a human being is, uh, uh, for a human being is the loss between a parent and a child. Hmm. And so I'm both Mackenzie, the parent, and I'm Missy, the daughter. Um, I had a, a gal from Nashville who, when the book first came out, sent me a note and said, you know, I know nothing about you, but my sense is that Missy represents something murdered in you as a child, hmm. prob probably your innocence. And Mackenzie is you as the adult trying to deal with that. Hmm. And uh, showed that to Kim and she said, boy, she nailed it. Yeah. And, and she did. So Mackenzie is lost in his great sadness. He gets a strange invitation in the mailbox in the middle of winter uh, to come back to the shack or the place that he, his, his loss is centered. And the, and the note is written in such a way that it could be the perpetrator of this tragedy. The, it could be um, somebody just doing a very bad joke or mm. a prank, or it could could be from God. The, the way it's signed is Papa, mm. which is his wife's uh, special um, name for God that she uses all the time. And, and there's a series of circumstances around that that make him want to go back um, just in case. And he goes back to see if there's any if there's any resolution. He takes mm. a gun with him in case it's the perpetrator. Sure because he's full of fury and, and fire. And, uh, and so he gets back to the shack and that's where the, the bulk of the story unfolds. Hmm. And um, it's like, what happens? So it's, it's sort of a murder mystery wrapped in a what if, right. you know, what, what if there is a God who is good all the time and involved in the details of our lives, especially hmm. the tragedies. Hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I grew up with God as a large, distant white bearded Gandalf with a bad attitude, Me you know, too. and <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I think a lot of us did, especially who grew up in the evangelical world. Mm. And so, you know, I'm trying to write something that's going to be helpful to my kids. You know, I don't want them growing up with the God that I did. Yeah. And the, and the God that I grew up with never healed one thing that was broken in me. Mm. And uh, so my journey was to, to try to understand who, is there a God out there that could actually touch the damage that's in me hmm. that would have, that would have a sense of presence in the midst of tragedy that, that gives us comfort and hope. And, and, um, and that's, you know, a lot of my journey was based on learning how to trust because trust had been so violated both as a child um, inside my family as well. And then inside 
the religious environment that I grew up in. And I, and I have to say, I, you know, I got some great things from my heritage, from yeah. my religious heritage. Yeah. And they, they gave me a, a, a deep appreciation and understanding of, of scripture and a way to deal with it. Hmm. And, um, and, you know, missions has done phenomenally beautiful things on the planet, hmm. but because religion is always man-made because God has never been religious. Um, it, it comes with all of our foibles as well as, as the places in our lives that are actually expressions of the goodness of God. And, and so we create these institutional structures that are, that are damning as well as they are potentially pathways to, to light and, hmm. and goodness and love. But, um, you know, mixed bag human beings. <laughs> Absolutely. For sure. I, I took a, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, I just said, I speak as one. Yeah, me yeah. too. I, uh, I took a class at school called uh, Soul Care. And uh -huh. the idea of the class was that uh, we had to kind of think through our lives and the places where we've been wounded in the past and we've been hurt and the places that we tend to just kind of stuff beneath the surface of our lives and move on and you know pick up our bootstraps and press forward. Yeah. And uh, the class really challenged us. Um, and the professor walked with us through this process of kind of going through those places of pain and trying to ask God where he was um, in those times and kind of get this picture of uh, the fact that we weren't alone, but that God was there with us. So the, the shack has been a, a book I've always kind of carried with me as I've looked as the idea of M Mackenzie going back to the shack, going back to the place of his deepest pain yep. and discovering God in that place and God almost showing him, um, you know, what he was doing and where he was and what was going on. And that's, that was always a really powerful thing for me merged with that class. So, yeah, you know, I'm old enough that when, if you'd, have, if you'd asked us when we were growing up about soul care, it would have been considered um, selfish, yeah. uh, self-centered. Mm. It would have been like, no, you know, you're not valuable enough to do, to do work. We know what your soul is all about. You're totally depraved. You're a piece of yeah, crap. You're you dirty. And so, yeah. Yeah. And so, um, you know, you've got to die to yourself. You got to, you have a sin nature. That's who you are. And right. So the idea of soul care would have just been farcical, if not, if not, uh, dangerous. Yeah. And, uh, so things have changed a lot, thankfully. Yeah. And, um, and, and we've learned a lot in the, in the journey, but man, you know, we had a lot of impediments that were delivered to us in, in the process. For sure. So here's my first question for you. And I realize that this is a really uh, big question, doesn't have a simple explanation, but, but why would you say that, that evil happens? Why, why does God allow evil to happen? And this is a question that I've, I've asked various people on the podcast. I've gotten various answers. So I'm interested to kind of hear from your mouth where you would fall. But, but you know, some say that God is sovereign and we just have to accept the things that happen. That's probably what my I think faith tradition would have told me growing up that, you know, this is what a lot of people. That's, that's what you say when you have no clue how to answer a question. Right. And that's what a lot of people on Facebook tell me when I post up thinking about it as well. But, you know, God's ways are greater than our ways. And, you know, don't question him. And one day we'll see everything clearly. But this side yeah, of but, but even Moses says, you know, uh, I want to know your ways. Yes. You know, and, yeah. and God says, come on. Come on. Right. What do you think the incarnation, if, if it isn't understand the ways of God? That's right. And. Uh, so, so evil, you know, yeah. um, I love Ravi Zacharias does this thing where he says, you know, the universe, uh, when God comes to create, there's only four possible creations, 
are four possible choices for God. Mm. One is to not create at all. The mm. second one is to create an absolutely mechanistic uh, universe that everything works by natural law. It's all just uh, embedded. The third one is to have that second one, except it has human beings who think they have an ability to choose and have free will, but actually don't. Mm. So that's a possibility. And the fourth one, which is the universe in which we live, is a universe in which uh, we have an ability to say no to God. So it's, it's not mechanical, it's not mechanistic, it's relational. And of the four possibilities, only this one allows for love and relationship. Mm. The other three do not. And, and it's like, okay, so if God wants to create a universe in which love is possible, what are the essential elements? And one of them is your ability to say no. Because apart from your ability to say no, your yes doesn't matter. So free will is not evil. Mm. It is not evil. And for God to create free will does not mean that God is the author of evil. It means that we have an ability to choose. And, mm. and I'm, I'm convinced that if, if God could have created a universe in which we have free will and we always chose to say yes, we would be in it. Mm. And, and so the question is for God, is it worth creating humanity? Is it worth creating a being who can enter into what already exists as the relationship between the father, son and Holy spirit? Mm. Is that even possible? And, and if so, is it worth it? Well, it seems it's worth it. And, and scripturally, from, um, it makes the statement that from the very beginning, Jesus is already slain. Not as an afterthought to Adam, who is going to screw up the universe, but it, he is from the beginning. And that is, yes, we are going to create this creation. Yes, they're going to say no, which is going to include a huge amount of suffering, which did not exist in the relationship of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's going to include a sense of separation between the creator and the creation, not real separation, but the delusion of separation or aloneness, which is another name for death. Hmm. And from the beginning, we are going to run toward that loss and suffering, and we're going to deal with it. Hmm. So that's a different paradigm than the one we grew up with was like, uh, oh, Adam messed up the whole universe and now God's scrambling to come up with a solution. And Plan B, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you can't, if, if God is ever the author of any sort of evil, then there is no place safe to run to. Yeah. Legitimately, no place is safe in the cosmos. Hmm. And, um, and that's why a theology that doesn't deliver a God who is good all the time is one that creates a chasm of trust hmm. between where you're at and your, your capacity or even possibility of taking the risk of trust. Hmm. If God ever abandoned Jesus on the cross, well, how could you trust him? Really? Hmm. If he beats the crap out of his son in order to be right with other people, how are you going to trust that? Yeah. You know? And, and so it's almost like, yeah, I, I created humanity, but it was sort of a mistake. And, and now what are we going to do? And I don't really like them, but I kind of cast my lot in here. Hmm. And, um, and I'm going to do this for my glorification. I'm, I'm, I'm going to 
I'm going to be the, the dictator God who ultimately uh, you'll either worship because, because you know, you're attracted to some element of that God or you're going to bow the knee because I'm going to force you to. Hmm. And, and that all is a denial of this incredible, magnificent, beautiful gift of free will, yeah. the ability to choose and to say no to God, to love, to goodness, to kindness, to, to forgiveness, to whatever. Hmm. And, and we brought the suffering to the table. We brought the cross to the table. We brought uh, death to the table. We did that hmm. because we were given this incredible gift and then used it to say no. Hmm. And, um, so that gives you a frame of reference that's incredibly different than the one yeah. that I grew up with. That's and, sure. and I think, you know, uh, we always look at Genesis and the, and the Genesis story, and we, we think that the, that the turning of Adam happened uh, when Eve gives him the fruit and he eats and they transgress the law. Um, but that's not true. It says that through one man sin entered the world, the brokenness of the cosmos, and that's Adam. And that happens before she is even brought out of him. Um, the Hebrew is really beautiful. It says, on the day you eat of it, this is the warning to Adam. On the day you eat of it, it you will have already died. Hmm. You, have, you will have already died. In dying, you will have died. Hmm. And, he, and it's like, so when does that happen? Well, it happens in this series, this list where it says, this is good, this is beautiful. The word in the Hebrew is the word for beautiful where he says, this is a good creation. It's beautiful. This is beautiful. This is beautiful. This is beautiful. This, the creation of humanity, this is very beautiful. And then this is not beautiful. This is not good. What is the first not good in scripture? Does, does anything that is not good originate in God? And the answer is no. no. God is the only good. Everything that is good is an expression of God. Hmm. So, so what is the first not good? And it, we have sort of a cheap English when it comes to this, this phrase. Oh, it's not good that Adam be alone. And we think, well, you know, God kind of creates all the whole universe and then suddenly realizes, oh, where's Eve? Oh, man, we, we screwed up. This isn't good. Hmm. And it's like, no, that's not what this verse is talking about. The Hebrew has a phrase for when you are by yourself somewhere, you know, but this isn't it. This is a phrase that is not good that Adam is in his separation. This is the mystery of iniquity. How could Adam, surrounded by the love of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, turn his face away from light and love and goodness and create a shadow, a shadow of separation in which and through which he now defines the universe. He defines the character of God. He defines himself. And, um, and that darkness... That aloneness is death. It is his mindful separation, not ontological separation. That is not in terms of actual separation because you can't separate yourself from God. It mm -hmm. is not possible. Yeah. And the early church was incredibly clear about that. If you, if you think you can separate yourself from God, you will lapse into non-being. And mm -hmm. that's, you know, you can't exist unless you are connected and entangled with the, the very being of God. Hmm. So, but we create an existential experience of separation, of death. And now death defines everything, not life. Now bondage defines everything, 
not freedom. Um, and darkness defines everything, not light. Hmm. And so then God has to uh, work within all of that delusion to find a way to destroy uh, darkness and bring you to light, to destroy bondage and set you free, to destroy the illusion of aloneness and declare to you the truth of your belonging, hmm. that you are a child and in him you live and move and have your being. So that, that origination of evil, you know, it wasn't through Satan that uh, the brokenness of the cosmos entered. It wasn't through Eve. It was through Adam. Yeah. And that happens in that, in that phrase. So it's, if, if you can grasp that, it raises a whole bunch of new questions, but at least it, it gives you a frame of reference to ask them. Yeah, that absolutely. To make some sense. And, it, and it's also such a elevating and beautiful view of humanity. This is not a low view of humanity. This is an incredibly high view of humanity. This means that our ability to choose is respected by the God who gave it to us. Mm. And, and it means that our choices actually matter. If you choose to hold on to bitterness, it ripples into the cosmos. It actually matters. If you choose to let it go, if you choose to forgive, that ripples into the universe. Mm. And if you choose that, if you want a king instead of a relationship with God, God will submit to it, but he won't leave you alone. Mm. He will climb into your dependence on a king and begin to work inside of, of that um, false reality and false dependence to, to begin to move you in the direction of freedom and, and wholeness. Mm. So all of that is wrapped up in elements of what you're asking. That's really good. Have you ever heard of uh, Thomas Ord? Yeah. 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 He wrote a book recently called God Can't. And uh, right. yeah, he was on the podcast a while ago, but his idea is kind of that um, God cannot prevent evil because preventing evil would require him in most senses to override human will. Correct. And that's not part of God's loving nature. So is that kind of like where you would fall as well? Well, and yes, and it happens in the cave scene with Sophia's mm -hmm. talking to Mackenzie and, and Mackenzie's confronted by the fact that he sits in the seat of judgment, not only... Mm -hmm not only of himself and others, but also of God. And, um, and God and Sophia, who is the wisdom of God says, Mac, what do you, whose will do you want God to stop? Hmm. You know, yours, your father's, your father's father, uh, Adam's hmm. at, at what point? Because as soon as you do that, you have now entered into a di dictatorial non-relational uh, universe. Yeah. And, and it's like, uh, no, we've got to deal with evil, not through violence and power. Hmm. We've got to deal with evil relationally. Hmm. And because uh, almost all evil is, is grounded in relationship. And that's sure. why, that's why we have to have community if we want to have wholeness hmm. because, because uh, most of our hurt comes through relationship, most of our healing also. Right. So yeah, I'd be with Thomas very much on in, in saying that, uh, no, we need to have a high view of humanity. You know, God doesn't become anything that is not very good and God mm. becomes fully human. What does that say about being? Yeah, human? that's very true. Yeah. That's really good. So to spin off that question, um, how, what is, what does prayer look like? Like in the midst of evil and sickness and loss, like, um, what kind of shape should our prayers take? And I ask that because this is actually a, a topic in our home 
right now. Um, my wife's grandmother is struggling with uh, kidney failure sure. and she's older. And so dialysis, the doctors have said is not an option right now. And so she's, she's really struggling. And the other day my wife said to me, like, I just don't know how to pray for her, to which I replied, I thought about it for a second. I'm like, I don't really either. And that's, that's kind of funny to me because we, we both went to Bible college. I went to seminary. We took, you know, divine healing classes where we were taught to pray for the sick and, and all that stuff I find incredibly helpful, but I'm at this place in my faith where I guess as I'm rethinking who God is, how God works, I don't really know, I guess, how to answer that, that question yeah. about, about prayer. Because like, if on one hand, God can heal my wife's grandma, but ultimately chooses not to, then it seems like God is kind of like a monster and why get my hopes up at all. But on the other hand, if he can't heal her, then, you know, what exactly is it that we should be praying when we go to God? And so I guess my, my questions are, you know, how involved is God in the painful things of our lives, such as my wife's grandma? And then two, like, do you have any wisdom to share with people who are in that process of deconstructing, reconstructing, whatever you want to call it, and are trying to figure out like, how does prayer fit into all of this stuff? Sure, a yeah. little tiny, t- little tiny question. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but so, you can you can solve a whole problem in our house right now. So. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, no, thank you for that. <laughs> and um, you know, um, I think you're right in that this is not a question about prayer. This is a question about God. Yeah. And um, and so it's like, so who who is this God? Is this God the vending machine God? Is this God the magic God? Is this God the genie in a bottle God? Um, who is this God? And, and that's really a fundamental question. Is this God the kind of God where you have to convince, you know, through enough energy, through enough uh, accumulation of enough people praying in order to get God to, you know, twist the arm of God or do the magic properly to get mm-hmm. God to do what he, what you want him to do. And, and a lot of us relate to prayer that way. Yeah. You know, we see it as magic and magic is one of the three things that religion needs um, because magic's non-relational magic is about power. Mm. And uh, you know, if you, if I have the right incantation and, and have the right words um, and I can create love potion number nine, that you don't have a choice, but to fall in love with me, mm. you know, that's magic. And a lot of how we see prayer is magic. And, um, and, and, and part of it is because we think that that's how you get God to do something for you yeah. is that you, you can, you can convince them by having enough faith. That's magic yeah. by having the right words. You know, am I saying the right thing? Mm-hmm. That's magic by having uh, 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 that there's no sin in my life. You know, that suddenly I'm in a spot where I'm pure enough that God can hear me. That's magic. Yep. I mean, and so much of how we relate to this is, is like magic rather than, you know, this is a God who is trustworthy mm. and this is a God who invites me into a conversation. And part of prayer is then listening. Part of mm. prayer is like, so instead of asking why, uh, because I've, I've rarely, my friends have rarely ever had God answer a why question. It's mm. like, it's like, it's like Job asking why and God going like, okay, you answer these 49 questions and then I'll, right. <laughs> then I'll, I'll entertain your question. I'll, then I'll think you might have the wisdom yeah. to begin to ascertain a why question. Hmm. You know, you think that this is a simple flatline universe in which there are, you know, I mean, we're, we're in a world of quantum physics and yeah. quantum mechanics and, and, uh, 
So the complexity of a why question is rarely going to be answered by God. Mm -hmm. But you can ask a different kind of question like, how do you want me to look at this? How do you want me to understand this? Mm. Where are you in the middle of this? You know, And those are relational questions. And they're, they're also exposing questions because a lot of times our, our, what we, we don't tell God what we actually think. We tell God what we're, we think we're supposed to say. Mm. So we're not even truth tellers. So we'll go to God and say, you know, would you please heal? Well, we won't go to God and say, you know, frankly, I don't think you're big enough for this. Mm. You know, I, th I think that death is bigger than you. That's, I don't think you're even here. I don't think you hear me. I don't think, you know, I don't think you're trustworthy. We see, we're not truth tellers to God. And, and we have to become truth tellers because then when we hear God's response, we can choose to agree with God or we can choose to agree with the fear that drives most of our prayer to begin with. Mm. And, um, and so, you know, I, I think that God is teaching us a lot about prayer. And, and you're right. People come from very different points of view about what this means and, and about the simplicity of the Lord have mercy, you know, um, that kind of prayer and the dynamic of that. And, and to go like, okay, so what do I actually believe about God? Is God with me in the middle of this? Is God with you? with your, your grandma in the middle of this? Is God with my, my daughter who has a brain tumor? Is God, you know, um, uh, with us or is he not here at all? Mm. Um, and then, yeah, I have a, I have a friend who's a, he's been called the Stradivarius of the 21st century. His hmm. name's Martin Schleske. He, he builds violins in Germany. Oh, wow. And, and I was with him just weeks ago and, uh, and he says, you know, he's learning so much about prayer, he said. And uh, he said, so, and, and about, about the process of people's uh, healing journey. Mm -hmm. And he's, he says, look, physical death is a reality, but it doesn't define anything, mm -hmm. right? And, and yes, Jesus healed many people, but not everybody. Yeah. And, um, and it's like, okay, so there is a limitation um, in terms of this physical world in which we are uh, captured inside of as beautiful and glorious as it is. Physical death is a reality. We're all going to deal with it. And it's like, all right. Um, the brokenness of this planet, which is partly because of the choices that we've made. Sure. We've harmed the ecosystem. No question about it. We have introduced all kinds of technology without the, the ethics or morality sub, to sustain it. And we have polluted the planet, which has infected our genetics, which has affected the way that we procreate. And yet God still submits to two people, regardless of their motivation, who have a sexual relationship. And out of that, God adds life. And some of that life is incredibly damaged. Mm. And some of that life doesn't make it uh, to birth and some of that life is is damaged at birth mm. you know all of those things are, are true and all of them are wrapped up in in the miraculous sense of our humanity so martin was telling me he says he says so i built a hospital he said i didn't really build a real hospital well it's a real hospital but it's inside of my heart mm. and he said in my hospital i have seven beds and i have 
when I meet people, and especially if, they're, if they are experiencing terminal illnesses, um, and if I have room in my inside hospital, I, I, I give them a bed. Hmm. And, then, and then I visit them. And he's talking about how in his imagination with the Holy Spirit, he will go sit and hold their hand. And, and he said, and I don't pray anything unless I hear the Holy Spirit saying, here's what I want you to pray for this person. Hmm. And it's, it's, you know, it's not fear-based magic. Like, um, my prayer is that they be well, you know, or, or they die without this infirmity, or I don't know what, whatever, whatever the, the desperate prayer is. Hmm. And it's not that God doesn't hear desperate prayers. Obviously, God, God hears ignorant prayers, you know? Hmm. God, God hears prayers that are prayed for absolutely the wrong reasons. Hmm. And because and, uh, the kind of God we have hears it all and, and runs towards suffering. So hmm. it's like, ah, how do I then, how do I, I then resolve this? Well, you resolve it, in it relationally. This is the mystery of trust and the paradox of it. Hmm. You know, is God good all the time? Yes. Does evil exist? Yes. Is, is God, could God heal every person? Yes, in terms of just the potential to do that. But why won't he? Well, it has to be because of love and goodness and kindness. And, and that's bigger than just, you know, my experience. Part of it is that we've created death and suffering as the singular greatest thing to avoid. Yeah, that's true. You know, and it's like, no. Yeah. Um, yeah, we brought it to the table, but God doesn't avoid it. God mm. runs toward it. God involves himself in it. God submits to it. Mm. And it's like, oh, okay, so how does that change the way that I pray? I'm not praying to have magical outcomes and results. I'm, pray, I'm praying to deepen my sense of who God is and, and, this, and participate in this co-suffering love. Hmm. This other-centered, self-giving love, you know, and so then, how does that change my prayer? Well, it changes it dramatically, hmm. and um, and it, it, you know, I go back to what is in front of me today, not some future-tripping imagination of how terrible this is going to be down the road. That's all fear-based crap, hmm. you know. It's like what is actually in front of me today, and what, how can how can I join with the heart of God, and what's the question for me? Like, how do you, how do you want me to understand this? I, you know, do you, do you feel the hurt that I feel for the one that I love? Do you? And you'll hear God say, of course I do. I'm in it. Hmm. Uh, you've never experienced one moment of suffering that I wasn't inside of hmm. and that I didn't experience with you. And, um, and yeah, that's, that's not the nice tidy magic answer, hmm. but it's a real one and it's a relational one. And it's, and it's, it allows for the mystery of suffering, but it doesn't stand around and idly say, well, it doesn't matter. No, I am, I am opposed to the losses that are in this world and I, I'm going to fight against them in any way that I can as, and prayer is one of them. Mm. But, but ultimately, I trust the goodness of God and I don't see death as the big evil and I don't see um, sickness and, and tragedy as you know, the big power that God somehow can't, um, can't defeat. I think he defeated it. And now we're working 
to have that uh, grand victory expressed inside of humanity. But it takes our participation, which means we have to engage ourselves in joining this co-suffering love of God in a broken world. Yeah, that's so good. It's that's really a, a beautiful way to look at it because I know, I guess, I guess you know, I, th- I think of those words from Paul that, you know, where our death is your sting. And yeah. I think so often we, you know, for myself, like I forget that because like I think about my wife's grandma, I think about someone who's struggling, I think about evils in my own life and suffering. And it's just like, I want to avoid this at all costs. And this is yeah. bad, it needs to go away. God is against it, so God can take it away. And then I find myself, like you said, trying to say the right phrases or put the right things in the vending machine and hit the right buttons and try to analyze my life. Am I living in sin anywhere? Am I doing anything that's wrong? Is anything going to be working against my prayers? What kind of blockages do I, you know, like those kind of things. And it seems like the way that you were describing, like I love what you said earlier about, you know, I think you said your friend will not pray until he hears the Holy Spirit tell him what to pray. And I think that that's so beautiful because it requires us to sit and be quiet and to listen and to engage in that conversation that like you were talking about that God so wants to have with us. And so sometimes we bring, you know, for myself, like I bring that agenda to the table in prayer and I'm like, all right, God, here's my A, B, and C. You get to work. And then I go and I'm done, you know, and then that's it. Whereas in reality, God is still sitting there waiting to speak if we would just listen. Oh no, he's, he's always speaking. Yeah. And it's, it's like, and, and, and he's silent as well. Sometimes mm. he just holds your hand and sometimes he just puts an arm around you. But, mm. but you know, um, and, I, and again, part of it is that we've made death the, the power to deal with. And, yeah. and my evangelical people, my family, my yeah. evangelical family, um, we did not help with that. We, we even said that, you know, you have X amount of time, but death is what defines your eternity, yeah. not life. Yeah. We, we've said that death is the definition that once you die, you're toast, you're either toast or you're in. And so we have given death a power and taken away the power of life. Hmm. And we, and so we, we did this. Um, and it's not true. Hmm. Uh, Jesus didn't even like to call it death. He called it sleep. Yeah. You know, true. and he, and, and transition and, and, um, but you know, we created the monster of what it is. So yeah. the gospel is that Jesus has come to destroy the power of sin, the power of death and the accusation of evil. Hmm. And, um, that's the gospel. That's not an atonement theory. That's the gospel. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Yeah. That's the, the, the incarnation through the ascension hmm. and the thing of the Holy spirit. So, so, you know, death is, is where is your sting? Yeah. Well, it's, it's a huge sting if death defines your destiny. Right. But it's not. Jesus mm-hmm. defines your destiny. Death doesn't do that. Yeah. And, and this, this really flips, you know, my people around uh, a corner <laughs> because, because, you know, their whole evangelism is based on, I got to tell you the good news, but you got you to gotta say the magic. Right. You know, the sinner's prayer. The sinner's prayer. Yep by the time you die or else, you know, and I'm sorry that, that you died. There's nothing I can do for you. Death wins. Mm-hmm. You know, we put that in the mouth of God. Ah, you know, I had such hopes for you, but you died. Yeah. And, um, and, uh, death takes another one. 
And it's like, what a hopeless outlook. Absolutely. And deterministic and fatalistic. Hmm. And it's like, no, you know, after death, we're going to take away your capacity to say yes or no. You're going to lose your ability to choose. Hmm. And, and, and therefore we're back to creation number two. You no longer have choice, which means love is not possible and relationship is truly not possible. Hmm. We're back to a mechanistic universe. Now, if I had to choose between an eternal destiny in a mechanistic universe versus the tragedy of what we experience in a world where we can choose to say yes, I will pick this one every time, Hmm. every time. And that includes our suffering, which means that um, that includes our prayer with regard to relationship and and what that means. This is about growing. Martin says, you know, that that he sits and he he contacts the people that he puts in his hospital. He tells them what he's doing. And then he says, would you just let me know how things are going? And as he prays, oftentimes he'll get a response like, this day, this one day at two o'clock, you know, and it was something that Martin had prayed. He says, he says, I... I stay with them and they are in my hospital until they either pass away or they're healed hmm. or for whatever I'm praying about. And then they, they, you know, I, I wait to, to meet somebody who I can put into that bed that's been vacant now. Hmm. And he says, but I don't take more than seven at a time. And that's just the way that the Holy Spirit is teaching him how to pray. Hmm. And um, um, it's absolutely beautiful and fantastic and fascinating. That's so good. That gives me... A lot to chew on. I can't wait to share that with my wife. That's going to be very helpful. Um, last question for you. I want to read a piece from the book and uh, then give you some context to the question. Okay. But in the book, uh, Mackenzie says to Papa, who is God the Father, but if you are God, aren't you the one spilling out great bowls of wrath and throwing people into burning a burning like a fire? Honestly, yeah. he says, don't you enjoy punishing those who disappoint you? To which Papa responds and says, I am not who you think I am, Mackenzie. I don't need to punish people for their sin. Sin is its own punishment devouring you from the inside. It's not my purpose to punish it, but it's my joy to cure it. Um, I was wondering if you could just talk to me a little bit about uh, Papa's answer. Because for me, like we talked about already, I was brought up in Mackenzie's tradition. You know, God is ticked at my sin. He's waiting to toss me and everybody else into hell if I don't believe the right thing. And so the cross, Jesus' death, was all about Jesus absorbing God's anger and Jesus saving me, in essence, from his angry dad. And I know that a lot of our listeners were brought up in that same tradition, but now I'm really finding myself falling more in line with what Papa says in this quote, that God's not punishing people for their sin, but sin is his own punishment. So can you talk to me a little bit more about what that means and maybe some of your thoughts about Jesus and the cross and the atonement and, and things like yeah. that? Another uh, small question. <laughs> another, another little one. Yeah. Which, but I love this question because yeah. it goes to the heart of so much of our disaster. Sure. And, um, and there's, one, there's one little word in that um, that I would change mm. in what I wrote there. And that is where he says, uh, it's it's not my intention to punish it. It's my, it's my joy to cure it. Mm-hmm. And it is the wrong. It's my, it would be my joy to heal you. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, to cure it, no. The intention of God is to destroy sin. Yeah. And, and I mean, to obliterate it. This is not a God who will stand idly by 
while anything that is not of love's kind remains in you. And so, yes, I believe that God is a God of fury and fire, but that fire is not opposed to you. Mm. It is opposed to everything that is in you that keeps you from being fully human and fully alive. Mm. And if people want to read a great book about hell, we'll read Brad Jerzak's book, uh, J-E-R-S-A-K. It's called Her Gates Will Never Be Shut. Yes, and, I just finished that actually. Oh, it's beautiful. Really so, yeah. yes, it's very good. But let me frame it this way. The early church had a view of God as judge, mm. and we have a view in a modern evangelical sense of God as judge, but they are absolutely opposing views. Um, we have a God a, a, as judge in a courtroom sense, that uh, our imagination is we're in a courtroom. What is the role of a judge in a court? The role of the judge is to determine whether you are guilty or innocent and then sentence you to the appropriate punishment, mm. right? Yep. And so if we have that view of God as judge, no wonder we come up with God needing to judge and punish sin or punish you, mm. right? And, um, and you know what's funny is that when, if in that scenario, if God the Father pours out his wrath to deal with the sin of the world, did it work or didn't it work? Mm. You know, and and that view primarily it didn't work yeah, and did a pretty we, bad job <laughs> well we still need the magic yeah you know? sure and you still you still have to save yourself yeah but the early church's view of god as judge was completely different it was god who is the judge who is the great physician that mm. is they didn't have they had a hospital view of god not a for, forensic uh, uh courtroom view of god mm. so so in a in a doctor or a physician's uh, view of God. What is what is the point of judgment? If you go to a doctor, does that doctor judge you? Absolutely. What does that judgment mean? That doctor is there to judge what is in you that is hurting you, that is keeping you from being whole, that is broken in you. For what purpose? To then punish you? You can't punish AIDS out of someone. Mm. You, you can't punish darkness out of someone you can't you can't punish a, a a broken heart you know and and have it become whole the point of the doctor's judgment is to then say here is how we're going to lead you to healing hmm. so the point of the judge in the courtroom scene is to judge you and and then punish you appropriate to the crime committed hmm. for the great physician it's not about the crime committed. It's, a, it's about the fact that you are hurt, you're broken, you've been damaged by a broken world, you've been damaged by your own choices, you're sick, and we have a cure for you. We are gonna move you toward healing and wholeness. So yes, God is a judge. And, but underlying it is a view that God is good, that always good. So the, even the fiery fury of, of God is intent on being an expression of love and mm -hmm. everyone is salted with fire why because everyone is screwed up everyone's broken mm -hmm. everyone is damaged everyone is hurt right so we are all going to be salted with fire but the purpose of that fire is restoration wholeness and healing mm -hmm. the view that god pours out his wrath on his son that atonement theory I think is a disaster. I yeah. think it's absolutely a disaster because one, it denies the deity of Christ. It absolutely separates the nature of the God 
man into two because it creates a distinction between God as father and Jesus as son. Mm. God as father needs a sacrifice. God as father needs to be appeased. Somehow Jesus can become sin for us. Somehow Jesus is of a different character in nature. And when you do that, you have split the Trinity into pieces. God never abandons his son, never turns his face away. You know, mm. that, that verse comes from Habakkuk. And we quote the first part of it, which is, your eyes are so beautiful, so magnificent. How can you look on sin? And the second half says, so, uh, so why do you? Mm. You know, so why do you? You know, if your eyes are so beautiful, why do you? And the answer is love. Yeah. I do it because, because you're so wrapped up in this darkness that I've got to enter into it to bring you to wholeness. Mm. And, and so then what's the point of the cross? The point of the cross is that we would pour out all of our wrath, all of our judgment, that we would spit on him, that we would turn our face away from him. And in our delusion, this is quoting Isaiah 53, mm. in our delusion, we esteemed him, Jesus, stricken by God. That's our atonement theory, mm. right? And mm -hmm. Isaiah is saying, you are so lost, you are going to think, that God the Father is pouring his wrath on his son. And you are absolutely wrong. You did this. We did this. Mm. We poured our wrath upon him. And the beauty is that God not only destroys the power of sin by absorbing through submission the cross, this iconic symbol of our fist in the face of God, that by submitting to our darkness, he not only destroys its power, but he then transforms a torture device that we created into an icon, a monument of grace that has become precious to us. Mm. How does that even make any sense? Yeah, wow. You know, it's a stumbling block. And it's like, how could God do that? Mm. Well, he does it, and he does it in our lives. How many of us were so messed up, so screwed up, so broken, and yet he, by submitting, climbing into our world with us, God then begins to transform us and we become these icons and monuments of grace. Like, mm. really? Wow. How, how does God do that? Mm. And it's, that's the beauty of a God who runs towards suffering. Mm. That's, that's, that's the power of the cross. And, uh, and it, God doesn't build crosses. God's not religious. Yeah. You know? and, and yet, we've co-opted God to our religion and then we said that the father is the one who built the cross that he put his son on. And it's mm. like, no, 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 no. If mm. God is ever the author of evil, nothing justifies the torture device. You know, uh, capital punishment is not right. Mm. Nothing justifies it. Even, even in, the, in terms of Jesus, the whole salvation of the cosmos does not justify an execution device. Yeah. You know, the ends don't justify the means. That's right. And, and God climbs into you know, what we brought to the table in order to, but here's the deal. God's a redeeming genius. Mm. There, there is nothing so broken or so evilly constructed that God by submitting to it and our participation can't transform it into an icon and a monument of grace. Mm. So in essence, we, God didn't kill Jesus, but we, we, killed, we killed God. Yeah, and, because we're the ones that brought death in. Yeah. Why would, why would huh. God appropriate so death in order to accomplish good? He doesn't even respect death, you know, and it's like, no, aloneness, that's a delusion. I'm not going to use aloneness to accomplish good, mm. you know, I'm, I'm going to come into it with good 
life and destroy death. That's what yeah. I'm going to do. And uh, that's exactly, you know, Jesus, who is life, is, is, enters into death in order to destroy the power of death. Yeah. Wow. And, and we say, Lord, have mercy. Hmm. Lord, have so mercy. Good. Yep. Well, that is a, a beautiful note for us to, to end on. We're just about out of time and I want to respect your time. So thank you so much for dropping by. Uh, this was a lot of fun. Uh, but before you go, is there any place online where people can go to find you, maybe interact with you, any new projects sure. that you're working on you want to share with us? Yep. So if you go to WM, which stands for William, because that's my first name, mm -hmm. uh, WMPaulYoung.com. It'll connect you through that to Twitter and Instagram and all that stuff that I hardly ever use. But <laughs> I should be better at it. I I'm, found you on Twitter. So <laughs> yeah, there you go. You respond. Um, yeah, I, I'm there once in a while. Yeah. And, um, you know, I've got 12 grandbabies going, give me a break. Yeah, right. And, uh, <laughs> so, um, so the, uh, yeah, you can find uh, the books and the projects and all that kind of stuff I mentioned there. I'm working on two books projects right now, which are okay. kind, of, kind of fun. And, are they uh, going to be on novels or nonfiction? Or? That's, one's novel, one's nonfiction. Okay, um, excellent. Yeah, so fun. So um, there's always stuff going on, but you know what? I could be dead by tomorrow, so I'd rather live in today's grace than future trip some imagination. Amen to that. And, yeah, for sure. For sure. So thank you so much for this opportunity to, to just have a conversation. Love the questions. And, thank you, uh, sir. And, uh, and I love my people. I just think we're stuck. We're, we're trapped inside of fear and, and, uh, and learning to live inside the grace of one day at a time is where all the action is. And uh, that's where God lives with us. That's right. Well, you, well, you helped us learn that a little bit today. So thank you. Sweet. Blessings on you. you Love to well. your, your wife. Thank all you. Right. Blessings. You too. Take care. You bet. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Wish I had a mansion. Wish I was dressed up fancy. Wish I on a pot and so go with the rainbow. Pot of Tom Clancy. Wishing I had no debt. Maybe then I can't flex. Go and hit a run, I'm a check. Wish I had no other sand, most beating on my chest. Wishing for my people. Uh. Wish I had more better leaders. Have enough to make our own land. Name our own picture, we bring our own sand. Wherever we live is so bland. So much with high on demand. Tiptoe around throwing high lows. Feel like James Brown, love, we go in here to dance. Let me talk. At the end of the day, we know who's at a fall. We got our hands up, ready for a box. Undisputed, got the own lot. Champion. Go ahead, call the ambulance. So we said our own ambience. Dub TTG train to go. Let's talk, no rambling. Wishing I had something foreign. Wishing I had something foreign. Knowing that I can afford it. Knowing that I can afford it. It's real love, it's real love. But I just ignore it. It's all love, it's all love. But I just ignore it. Wishing I had something foreign. Wishing I had something foreign. Wish I had red bottles on my feet. Everything falls on me. Then I start clicking my heels to the ride. Did it beat me? Ever wanna follow my speed? Let's close those more keys. Carolina Rose on freeze. Wishing I could fly to the keys. That will be more free. Something in my mind hit the dough. Put on my fresh fit. Toast Sir Charles, let's go. We about to go and get it. Uh, let me talk. At the end of the day, we know who's at the fall. We got our hands up, ready for a box. Undisputed, got the own lot. Champions. 
Real love, but I just ignore it. 